Well, good morning, church, uh, church family. How are you guys doing today? Happy Sabbath. Before I start or I get you excited or anything, let's uh, just bow our heads and, and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity you give us to be here this morning and worship you. Lord, please accept our humble worship and be with me that I may not speak by myself, but you speak through me, Lord. That's what we ask in your holy and precious name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for inviting me here to be uh, in this church this morning. I've never been to this area, and, you know, I, I didn't even know a fief, but, you know, he invited me, and, and I'm glad to be here. I, I'm a bit different because, you know, you guys saw, you guys probably noticed my accent, you know, the fact that I'm from Brazil, and Olympics is happening right now, so everybody's talking about Brazil. A lot of things good, a lot of things bad, but it's okay, you know. I haven't been there for uh, three years almost, me and my wife, you know, she's here with me today, and um, we're enjoying a lot. I go to Andrews University, I'm working on my master's degree, a master's in divinity. Uh, I still have like a year and a half to go. But I'm glad, you know, I'm there, even though the cold is unbearable almost sometimes. But I'm glad I'm there, you know. <laughs> and uh, before this, I was, I was in Southwestern Adventist University. Uh, how many of you guys know Southwestern? In King, Texas. Great state, great city, a great place to be. And I, and I studied there. And um, as you guys uh, might notice or something, you know, I'm, an, I'm not a natural speaker, Okay. I'll, I'll talk to you because I, I really feel what I have to say is important. But I'm not an actual speaker. Because to me, it's always been hard to talk to different people. But when I felt God calling me to, to the ministry, I said, Lord, I do not know how to speak. You know, you heard Moses saying the same thing. And, and one, of, um, one of my pastors, he said, uh, you know what? God does not call the qualified. He qualified the ones he calls. So I just raised my hand and said, I do not know how to do it, but I'm going anyways. But Lord, there's one thing. If you're calling me to do this, you're going to have to pay the bill. Right? And she was talking about, about uh, the cost of, uh, of school and everything. And I remember going and, you know, God did pay the bill, the complete bill. I didn't have any grants or, uh, or loans or any aids or anything. So I just worked hard and I just did everything. You know, I ate lots of Roman noodles, but it's okay. God did not promise me a feast. But he did say he was going to help me pay for school, and he did. So I, I'm glad for that. And today, you know, I have a PowerPoint over here. And the reason why I have a PowerPoint is because if I don't have, I might uh, have problems with time. And it's not like you're thinking, you know. I might not go too long. I might go too short. You see, my first sermon ever, uh, I planned everything. I was supposed to speak for 15 minutes in class. And like I said, I'm not a natural speaker. And I got in front. I was really nervous. I had a whole bunch of cards. And I was shaking. And I just remember I started reading. And in five minutes, I was done. <laughs> done. I know that some of you might be happy, you know, right now. <laughs> but I, so what happened was, you know, I saw that through a PowerPoint, it was easier for me to kind of guide myself and pace myself a little more. And, uh, you know, the message that I have today, it's an important message. But, you know, I'm happy to be with my wife here today. A few weeks ago, uh, when, right, right when Afif contacted me, I told him, oh, I won't be able to be here because I have to travel and everything. And we didn't, did travel. We were going to Richmond, Virginia. I don't know if you guys have ever been there. It's a beautiful place. My, my mother and my sisters live there. And uh, we went there, but that's the thing. We were going to go there to buy a car. So we needed not to go with a car. 
So we had to go different ways. So I started looking at different ways. A ticket for airplane was way too expensive. So the cheapest one we found was if it went by train. Amtrak. I don't know if you ever traveled on Amtrak. It's a very good experience. You know, kids will love it. But the thing is that I was so excited about Amtrak. You know, I was going and, and having this trip. It's a long trip. You know, if we go all the way to Virginia, this is the path that we have to take. 20-something hours to get there. And I remember I bought the ticket, and I told my wife, yeah, we have to be there. You know, I, I worked extra hard before so I could make up for the hours that I were going to lose. And then I, we just woke up really early, like 5 o'clock in the morning on the day. We had a friend that drove us all the way from Barron Spring to South Bend. And I was so excited, and I got there. It was around 7.30, 8 o'clock, and I was sitting down. Nobody was there. And then the woman from the counter, she gets in, and she said, uh, what's your name? Let me see your ticket. And I gave her ticket. And then she looked at me and said, oh, you're here early. And I said, oh, yes, you know, I'm here. I, won't, I don't want to miss. And she said, no, no, you're really early. The ticket is supposed to be at 9 p.m., not 9 a.m. <laughs> and we were like, okay, we had bags and we have everything. We were by ourselves in the middle of nowhere. And she helped us out just to put the bags in some place. And we, were, we just took off and started walking through Benton, uh, South Bend. And we were visiting all the things. We slept in the mall. We slept in the, the library. We slept everywhere we could. We traveled by bus. I just know that we had like 12 hours of nothing. But when we got there, you know, we, we got into the train. It was a beautiful trip and everything. And, and it was awesome. But that's the thing. Like, even though it was something not expected, it was really good. Because I was traveling, right? Travel is good, isn't it? When you travel, and, and I think people can relate to this, traveling, it's, it's exciting because you never know what's going to happen. You never know what you're going to see. Things might happen that are not good, but most of the times it's so exciting just to be there. And there's a story of a man that he saved a lot of money so he could, so he could travel. Oh, he saved lots of money. You know, he was a, a very, um, he was a lover of architecture, I don't know if there's any architecture lovers here, but he went to Europe. He said, you know, I have to go to Europe because over there you see lots of beautiful places and buildings, you know, and I want to see this. And the best place to see to go in Europe for architecture, one of the best places anyways, it's Germany. Germany is one of the best places because over there you can see pretty much all sorts of different types of architecture. For example, you can see in the same, in the same country, you can see the Romanesque style or... You can see the Gothic style, or maybe even the Renaissance style, all in the same place. So it's the best place for you to go. So he went there. And as he goes, and as he walks, and as he meets people, and he sees all these buildings, he's just fascinated. But then he stops by at a very small town called, called Warden. This very small town, it was, to him, was, it felt like home. You know, the people were really warm, and the food was good, and, and everything was so nice, and so a lot of good architecture. But one of those places, you know, one of, one of the churches that he saw, it called his attention. This was a big church, a nice church. It was right on the hilltop. It had a, a very tall um, steeples like this one over here and, and towers and things like this. But one thing was different. In one of those towers, because all of them had sculptures, like of different things, of different symbols. But one of them had a sculpture that he hadn't seen before. It was a sculpture of a lamb sitting right there. 
And he got, it was intrigued, you know, why, you know, this, you know, I haven't seen it anywhere. If, it doesn't go with all the standards that I've seen before. So he tried to stop a local person with all the German that he could say, you know, he asked him, you know, why the lamb? Or in German would be, warum das Lamm? Sorry if you speak German and I killed your language, you know, but something like this. Why the lamb? So why do they have a lamb in there? Well, the person tried to explain to him that when they were building that tower, that church, the person that was working on that tower was uh, uh, carving everything, was doing everything, and then he, it, like he tripped on the scaffold that he was on and fell all the way to the ground. Well, his friends just went down really quick, knowing that for sure he would be dead. But then when they got there, he, not only was he not dead, but he only had minor bruises and scrapes. Well, what happened? The thing is that right at the time that he, wa- he fell, a-, a flock of sheep were passing underneath. And he fell right on top of one of the sheep. I mean, the sheep was completely gone. It was just squished. But that sheep saved his life. So in a way, we can say that he was saved by that lamb. And that was not the first time that a lamb saved someone. Maybe the most important time that a lamb saved someone. And we see the story when John the Baptist, he was preaching his heart out. He was telling everyone. He was uh, rebuking the leaders. He was doing all those things. And all of a sudden, he sees Jesus. And that's what we read on a scripture reading. Uh, Do you guys remember what was it? Uh, John, I think, John 1.29. It says, look, the lamb of God who takes away... The sin of the world. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I remember as a kid growing up, I would read this Bible verse and I was always thinking, you know, why a lamb? Why a lamb? Why not a dog of God? Dogs are friendly. They're loyal, right? Why not a dog of God? Why a lamb of God? Uh, why not a lion of God? Lions are strong. They're king of the jungle. Why not a lion of God? Why a lamb? Why not even an elephant of God? Quick story. I remember when I was a kid, about five years old, my parents made the terrible mistake of taking me to the zoo. Terrible mistake. Because I saw a baby elephant, and I was just in love. The whole way back, about an hour of driving, I kept bothering them. I really want to have an elephant. I really wanted to have an elephant. And five years old, you know, there was nothing that would take it out of my head. And I remember my mom saying, you know... He needs space to live. And I said, oh, don't worry. You know, he can live in my room. We lived in a small apartment. And to me, my room was huge, but actually it was really small. And I said, oh, I'll just share my room with him. And she said, oh, but he eats a lot. And don't worry. I'll eat half and I'll give half to him. No problem. And everything that she would tell, I had an answer for her. Until she said to me, you know, uh, uh, elephants need a grass to run and trees to eat and play. You know, he's not going to have anything of those things at home, so he's going to be unhappy. And I finally understood, and I calmed down, and I forgot about it. You know, I just kept it to me, to my heart. And after six months, you know, my mom had already forgotten about the situation, and um, she, we were going to move to a different place that had a backyard. And she was so excited to tell us, you know, now we're going to have a backyard. And she comes and says, you know, oh, we're going to move to a backyard now, and we're going to have trees so you can play and grass so you can run. And the first thing I remember, and I said, yes, I'm going to have my elephant now. <laughs> And then, you know, it was another maybe three months of problems and complaining about the elephant. Until we got to the house and, and, and you know, they kind of compromised. They gave me chickens. 
I know that you might be thinking, you know, why chickens? Why not a dog like anybody? I don't know. But they give me chickens, and I had my favorite chicken. Her name was Coco. Anyways, let me go back to, to what I was saying. Why not an elephant of God? Elephants are powerful and strong. They never forget. Wouldn't it make sense to call Jesus the, the elephant of God? No, but he called the Lamb of God. And there's a reason why he's called the Lamb of God. And this reason, it goes way back. Because the Lamb had always had a special place in the history of mankind. It started all the way back with Adam and Eve. When they were in the garden, Adam and Eve, right after uh, Jesus created this whole thing, when it's all beautiful, uh, the Bible, let's open our Bibles right now, Genesis 2, 15 uh, through 17. Genesis 2, 15 to 17, to 17. Here we have God talking to Adam right after creation. Genesis 2, 15 to 17. What does it say? It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. Okay, this, this happened. So, and the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden. So how many trees could he eat? Any tree, right? But then, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will what? Maybe die, right? No, it certainly die. Isn't it strong when he says this? If I, if I say, oh yes, I'll certainly be here. Doesn't it mean that I'm, I'm going to be here? I'm certain of something. So Jesus, God said, you know, from the day you eat, you will certainly die. But we all know what happened, right? We all know the story. Adam and Eve could not follow this simple commandment. You know, sometimes the simpler things, you know, sometimes we just, we just miss it. The simplest things that God asks, you know, we just make such a big deal about it. And, and that was so small. God just said, you can have everything but this. You do whatever, but not this. And that's the only thing we want to do. Why is that? But that's what happened to Adam and Eve. They were in the garden. They were perfection and everything. But they ate from the only fruit that they could not eat. So what happened to them after this? Sorry, let me put it a little bit higher. Uh, Genesis 3.21. It says what happened to them. We know that after they sinned, right? So the Lord God took the man and put him... Oh, I'm sorry. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So after they, they sinned, what, would happen, what should have happened to them? Like we just read, what, what would certainly happen? They would certainly die, right? So they ate from the tree and what happened to them? Did they certainly die right there? No, right? In fact, what happened was the first thing that happened was they felt naked. And this is the first thing that sin does to you. Sin takes your innocence. Now you start seeing things the way they are. Like, you know, the, the bad things the way they are. So now, the first thing that happened is that they felt naked. And then they didn't die. But then God made garments of skin to them. So how did, Adam, so how did God make uh, 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 skin, uh, garments of skin to them? Well, an animal had to die, right? For them to have uh, clothes made out of skin, an animal had to die. Ellen White talks about this. She says, To Adam, the offering of the first sacrifice was a most painful ceremony. His hand must be raised to take life, which only God could give. If it was, it was the first time he had ever witnessed death, and he knew that had he been obedient to God, there would have been no death of men or beast. No death of men or beast. As he slew the innocent victim, he trembled at the thought that his sin 
must be shed the blood of the spotless lamb of God. So right there he understood. What a vivid picture we have. You know, and, and let me paint a, 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 continue painting the same picture. Um, M.L. Anderson, you know, I don't know, a few of you might know him. He had troubles with the church. But before then, he wrote a wonderful book about the sanctuary. And this is one of the things that caught my attention the most. It's on the same, uh, the same um, event. It says, Adam had never seen death and did not clearly understand what was involved. But when he saw the first sacrifice, sacrificial lamb lying still before him, its lifeblood oozing out, death suddenly took a new and deeper meaning. One more thing. He began to understand that his salvation was in some way connected with the death of the lamb. That if the lamb had not died, he would have to die. I want you to imagine because like, like it happened to Adam and Eve, sin had just taken our innocence away. We lost, the tr- we lost the thought of what death really is. We just think about death when somebody that we love or close to us die. But that's not it. You know, even the smallest creature, it's still death. It's still a consequence of, of, of sin. Remember that I said that when I moved, I had chickens. I love chickens. My favorite chicken name was Kaka. That was, her, that was her name that we gave. And I would play with Kaka the whole day. We had tons of chicken, but I liked her the most because she would lay blue eggs. Everyone would lay white, would lay white eggs or brown eggs, but Kaka would lay blue eggs, and I loved her. Every day after school, we'd come back, and we run around, and I tried to catch her, and she wouldn't let me, and you know, things like this. But we had a good relationship. But one day, I got home, and I called Kaka, and Kaka didn't come in. I looked for her and she didn't come in. I couldn't find her at all. I could spot her anywhere, but I couldn't find her. And then I went inside my house and I looked at the dinner table and there was a cooked chicken right on the dinner table. Nobody told me anything, but I knew that that was Kaka. And I remember crying for the first time and understanding, trying to understand at least as a kid, that I would never see Kaka ever again. That was my first experience with death. You see, that was, that's a, a child's uh, innocence that we lose. Nowadays, we see death. We, see, we watch the TV. We said death every time. And we don't even think about it because, you know, it's just normal. People say, you know, it's a normal part of life. No, I don't think God ever made us to die. But this happened because of sin. But then we, lost, we lose the innocence and we forget about it. But then what happened to Adam and Eve? As they killed the first lamb... I believe, you know, a lot of emotions went through them and probably like, they probably cried of thinking of that little animal that did nothing wrong, but he had to die to them. In a way, that lamb died to save Adam and Eve's lives because he died in their places. If we fast forward a little bit, a little bit more, we see Abraham. Abraham woke up really early in the morning. He picked up everything before the first ray of light comes in. He picks up his son Isaac and start walking. And, and, and they're going to do a, a, a sacrificial a sacrifice to the Lord. As they were walking, Isaac, which is not a, a very dumb kid. You know, Isaac is paying attention to everything that is happening. He looks around and, you know, he noticed there's something different. And he says here in Genesis 22, 7 and 8, it says, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The first the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? You know, and Abraham probably said, you know, he got me. 
he got me. But Abraham said, Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. The only thing that Isaac didn't know is that three days before that happened, God came to Abraham and told him, you're going to take your son, your only son, the son you love, and you're going to give him as an offering to me. Well, that's crazy. I mean, just to think about it, I'm not a father yet. Okay, maybe I will be one day, but I'm not yet. But even, even though I'm not a father, I cannot even start thinking about sacrificing someone that I love, someone that I call son because of God. It, it's really hard. But Abraham just said, you know, it makes no sense. It goes against all my principles. But Abraham said, I will do it because I trust you more. Even if you have to do a miracle, even if you have to raise him from the dead, even if you have to give sons out of the sand, I trust that you will do it. You see, sometimes things like this happen in our lives. God does things that we don't quite understand why he's doing. But we have to be like Abraham. You see, Abraham, when Abraham could not see God's hand guiding him, he trusted his heart. If, we don't, if you don't understand what God doing in your, heart, in, your, in your life, just trust his heart. That he loves you and he wants the best for you. Even if he goes against what we might think it's, it's the right thing to do. But, but as you know, Abraham just got to the top of the mountain and he told his son and put him in the altar. And as he is going to kill his son, an angel stops him and says, don't kill him. And he pointed out to the side and they saw a ram that was stuck by the, by the, by the horns into a bush. I, I, um, What's the name of this animal? Um, a ram? It's just a big lamb, right? It's just a lamb that grew up. So in a way, you know, they took this ram and they put it in the altar and sacrificed it. And the ram died in Isaac's place. So the ram saved Isaac that day. If we fa- continue to fast forward a little bit more, we get to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They are all uh, slaves in Egypt. And God goes and sends Moses to take them out of there. For nine times, God sent uh, um, plagues so, you know, the Pharaoh could let them go, but Pharaoh just doesn't let them go. But then God says, you know, I'm going to send one last one, and you have to get them ready. In Exodus 12, 3, what does it say? It says, tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. So what are they supposed to be to do? Take this lamb, kill the lamb, prepare the lamb, but they were supposed to get the blood and pass through the doors, on the frames of the door. Now why would they do this? God explained why they had to do it. Exodus 12, 13 says, The blood will be a sign for you on the house where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over. And what would happen? No destruction plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Well, that night... The angel of death passed by and killed every single firstborn, including the son of Pharaoh. But those who had the blood of the lamb on their door frames, nothing happened to them. Right there we see that the lamb saved the firstborns of the Israelites. God was saving them through the blood of that lamb. But they were able to leave right after that. They were so happy. And they passed through the Dead Sea. To the, Red sea, to the Red Sea and they passed through it and they, and they saw the cloud of smoke that would bring shade to the day and it would bring warmth to the night and they got and they saw the Ten Commandments and they received the Ten Commandments and they complained quite a bit. You remember the story. 
But one day God comes to Moses and says, you know, Exodus 25, 8 says, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. This is huge, friends. You know, this is huge. When was the last time that God dwelled with his people? Was with Adam and Eve. That was the last time. But sin separated them to a point that they could not be together. But then God said, you know, make a sanctuary that I can dwell among them. How could God, the perfect being, creator of universe, uh, dwell with sinners? Sin and God cannot coexist. But how could he do it? It was through the sanctuary. Through the sanctuary, God could dwell with his people. But how could he do it? Well, I took a class with uh, uh, Dr. Roy Gain. I don't know if you guys ever uh, heard about him, but he's a doctor and, and he's... His doctoral dissertation was on the sanctuary. And uh, while I was reading his book, it's called Altar Call, uh, one of the things that touched me the most was when he talks about forgiveness. And this is what he says. Forgiveness is not only something that is offered. It is a transaction between two parties, the one who wronged and the one who has committed the wrong. Until the one who has committed the wrong repents and accepts forgiveness, forgiveness is not complete in the sense that the offender does not receive the benefit of forgiveness. At the Israelite sanctuary, God continually made forgiveness available. But a sinner was only said to be forgiven when he or she accepts God's forgiveness by bringing what? A sacrifice. So the sacrifice was needed so they could accept the forgiveness that God was was giving to them. Well, but how did it work? You know, how did the sacrifice actually make sense to them? Well, they had about three different uh, types of sacrifices. The first sacrifice they had were sacrifices of provisions of sin. This happened every single day, in the morning and in the evening. The priest would come and sacrifice the little lamb. So, just in case, if you, if you sinned after hours, or if you sinned and did not have time, to go and ask for forgiveness, you were covered. God wanted to make sure that even though that you didn't have time to ask for forgiveness, you were covered. This is how much God loves us. So this was the sin of provision. Sacrifice for provision of sin. The, the second one was a sacrifice for forgiveness from sin. This is the most common one where the, the person that sinned would take a lamb and it had to be spotless. No defects. And you put your hand on it and you tell all your, your sins and then they sacrifice it. And the priest comes and gets a little bit of blood and throws it in the... Excuse me? Yes, no, it, throw, it throws it on, on the altar. I'm sorry, altar. And the rest of it he puts on the base. So therefore, the sins were transferred from you to the lamb, from the lamb to the priest, from the priest to the sanctuary. Okay, so now this, your sins is right there. So your sins were forgiven. It's not with you anymore. And of course, it comes to the third type of it, which was the sacrifice of extension of sin. This was every one, once a year on the Day of Atonement, where all the sins from the sanctuary would pass to the, to the scapegoat, and that's it. Your sins would, be forgot, your sins would be gone forever. So those three were needed. And so you, were, so you could uh, be forgiven of your sins. Because of the sacrifices of the lamb, God could dwell with his people. Now think about it. Because of the lamb, they could have life. They were saved by the blood of the lamb. Right? But then we come to where we were before. We come to, to John the Baptist. 
And as he looks at Jesus, he doesn't see someone, a simple someone. He doesn't see uh, just another person. He sees the Messiah. He knows who he is. He looks at him and says, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Wow, that's a big name to be called, right? And for Jesus to be the sin of God, he needs to be to follow what the, what the sacrifice was, right? So for Jesus to be the, 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 the Lamb of God, he needs to be four things. He needs to be spotless. He needs to receive the transfers of sin. He needs to be the daily sacrifice. And he needs to be the atonement sacrifice. Was he all of this? Well, let's see. The first one is in Peter 1, 18 and 19. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb with, with what? Without blemish or defect. So was Jesus a blemish without defect, spotless lamb? Yes, he was. Let's check it. So was Jesus, was Jesus, did Jesus receive all the sins? Did he bore our sins? Did he carry our sins with him? Well, 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins and his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So was he tra- did he receive the transfer of sins? Yes, he did. All the sins. He carried all the sins all the way through Calvary. Now, was Jesus the daily sacrifice? Let's see. Hebrews 10.10. 10. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. When? Sometimes? No, once and for all. What does it mean? Once and for all means forever. This is it. You know, morning and evening, morning and evening, morning and evening, once and for all. This is what it's saying. So Jesus, yes, he is the daily sacrifice. But he needs to be the atonement. The one that's going to take the sin away forever. First John 4.10. What does it say here? This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So yes, Jesus is the sacrifice of atonement. You see, friends, all those sacrifices, all those lambs that died from, from Adam all the way to when Jesus came, all those lambs were not saving anyone. They were just pointing to the one that were to be saved, to, to be the Savior. All those lambs, all those sacrifices were just to say that Jesus, Jesus was the one that was to die for our sins. There was the one that was to die to do those things. He was the one that was going to be the spotless lamb. All those things were just pointing to when Jesus came. The only difference between Jesus and the lamb that had to be sacrificed was that the lamb had to be held against its will. The lamb had to be taken and held down and killed all against its will, right? The lamb doesn't want to die. But Jesus, on the other hand, in Ephesians 5, 2, he says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering of sacrifice to God. So Jesus did all of this without even complaining anything because he loved you so much. You see... Adam had to sacrifice a lamb. So a lamb could, would have died in his place. Isaac did not die because of the blood of the ram that died in his place. The Israelites were saved because of the blood of the lamb poured on the door. 
and all the sacrificial system, all the lambs that died, they were saving their lives because of the blood of the lamb. But we, brothers and sisters, we don't need to do it anymore because we had already the lamb that died once and for all for us. The whole, the the daily sacrifice, everything. My friends, if we fast forward to today, we don't need sacrifice anymore. Jesus already died for us. All we have to do is to accept his sacrifice. All we have to do is put that in practice in our lives. Ellen White has a beautiful quote from Desire of Aids. He says, the price of heaven is what? It's who? It's Jesus. He's the price of heaven. The way to heaven is through faith in the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Friends, it's not, it's not when you're doing some uh, uh, work with the blind or if you're feeding the hungry. It's not your actions that's going to save someone. It's the blood of the Lamb that's going to save. If you are a very good person, you can be a very good person and still be lost because it's not you. It's not your actions that are going to save. It's always the blood of the Lamb. We have to remember that in our lives because the only thing that saves is the blood of the Lamb. And when Jesus came... And, and John the Baptist was preaching. What did he say? Look, the Lamb of God. And I think that applies to us today because nowadays everyone is looking inside. Everyone is looking inside for salvation. What can I do to be saved? What do I have to do to be good? It's always me, me looking inside. But maybe we need to do like, like uh, John the Baptist said, you know, and look at the Lamb. Not look at ourselves. Not do as ourselves, but always look at the Lamb. If we look at the Lamb, we'll be saved. Always. Not inside, but there. I don't know. I really, brothers brothers and sisters, I really can't understand. I I really can't understand the sacrificial system. I can't understand why Adam had to kill a a lamb. I do understand why uh, those things happen. I do understand all of it. But the only thing is that I can't understand. It's why would Jesus do this? Why would he die for me? Why would he die for me, a, you know, a simple sinner, a person that is way, uh, you know, less qualified than, than he should be, a person that he shouldn't be even standing here this morning, but why would he die for me? I'm not here today to tell you why Jesus loves you, why he, he gave himself as a sacrifice to you. I'm here to say that he just did it, and you have to accept it. Because he loves you so much that reasoning, it's way beyond our understanding. But he does it because he loves you. And Jesus does it not only for a group of people. Not only for certain people. He does for everyone. But this is not the end. And amen for not being the end. Because the lamp does not finish there. It finishes here in Hebrews 9.28. This is when it's all going to finish. It says, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sin of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming soon. And I know you know this, but right now, it's time for us to put our lives in check. Have we looked inside most of the time and seen things that we do, we do? Have we pointed everyone to, to, to us, or have we trying to say, look, the Lamb of God. Because one day, really soon, I really believe, Jesus is going to be coming back. And the Lamb that was laying for us is going to be sitting on the throne. And He's going to be coming and saying, you know, I have redeemed those who accepted my sacrifice. Will you accept Jesus' sacrifice this morning? 
Will you say, you know, Lord, I might not understand why, why you, you died for me, but I do want to accept your sacrifice. You, you know, brothers and sisters, you might be here this morning for different reasons. You might be here because you are so used to come to the church that you just woke up, put nice clothes, and came in over here. No reason. You might be here because your parents made you come, or you might be here because uh, you have friends that you had to speak with, or anything like this here. You might be here for different reasons, but you might be here because you feel so bad in your life that you're saying, God, you know, I want to give you one more chance to prove that, you know, you really love me. So if you came here because of this reason, I want to say that God put me here this morning today. I came all the way from Bering Springs to say that, yes, he still loves you. He still have a plan for you. He still, he still died for you because he loved you so much that even think about it. It is unthinkable. It is, we cannot understand it, but we just have to accept it. And one day when we see Jesus coming back again in the clouds, we're going to be able to tell him and say, you know, thank you, God, for your sacrifice. I have been redeemed. I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. God bless you.